so much has been written about the continent. And for so many of us, we're kind of not sure who to believe because, you know, you we can't just fully trust the word of people who often were writing from a racist and prejudiced standpoint. But we also have the experience within our communities and we know that, you know, there, there are dynamics that we also have to wrestle with. And it falls on us to, to, to take a look at these things and figure out what is true and what was untrue and, you know, craft stories that help reframe experiences, um, stories that, that present possibilities for what the future might look like and the stories that highlight what was good and true and positive and uplifting and solid about African cultures, which, you know, racist imaginations might not have been able to or unwilling to, might have been unwilling to highlight, you know, because it challenged their notions of who an African person should be. Hello and welcome to the Mythological Africans podcast, where we read and talk about stories from African mythology and folklore. I am your host, Helen Gay. Episodes of this podcast come from live recordings of the Mythological African Storytime Sessions, which took place on Friday evenings at 5 p.m. Eastern Time U.S. on the Mythological African's Twitter space. Welcome. Usually what I use this space for is to, every Friday evening, read some stories from different parts of the African continent, so read folklore myths, and just talk about them. Basically, get together, talk stories, learn from each other. Today, however, because I have a book coming up next week, The Runaway Princess and Other Stories, which is a collection of uh, folk tales told in prose and verse format, and I bring together stories from different parts of the African continent, uh, and I retell them. These stories are focused on girls and women, so every single story, in every single story, the protagonist is a girl or a woman. And um, I retell them with a focus on the inner worlds of these characters. So if you're familiar with mythology or folklore, there tends to be an emphasis on what happens, you know, the sequence of events and consequences and causes and effects and all of that, but not so much a deep exploration of interiority. So what's going on in these people's minds, right? You could hear that, oh, this person was sad or they thought this, but the, the deep examination of motives and, you know, internal processes, the angst and all of that that you would see in modern fiction, for example, you don't get that in, in folklore. So my, my story telling approach with this collection was to kind of go into that you know what what were these women thinking what how are they feeling so 15 well I think that like 14 of those stories are based on well-known myths and legends and folklore from different parts of the continent um, and then there the, the others the remaining ones are based on particular cultures, so they are original stories, but grounded in particular cultures. And um, I'm going to share in here a link, a tweet where I have an outline of the table of contents and what, you know, what it all involves. Um, so 
what I what I want to do today is just to talk about you know my research process. There was quite a bit of research that went into putting this together, and all of that happened. You know, um, over honestly over the last year and a half or two, but really intensified over the last three months, which is when I did the bulk of the writing. So I wanted to share a little bit about that. Um, answer any questions that folks might have because um, I think I have a bit of an advantage because I come from a research like heavy lifting research background and I think I I was able to navigate the process a bit better than someone who didn't have this background might have so take any questions that you might have and just you know get excited about the book some more I just received the first draft of the the pdf version of the print version um, from the formatter and it's so beautiful you guys like I know I know I wrote this book and I have to hack myself right but my god I'm so happy I'm so excited it's 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 everything I hoped it would be so I'm really really hoping that you know this you guys will enjoy it you enjoy the stories you enjoy the artwork and just everything that it comes with so um so something that I'm also going to do is the, the book is going to have a project website and there is a project website already, but right now it just contains the links to, you know, the pre-order page if you're so inclined and um, a video about about the, the book. But this project website page, and I have it coming up here for you in just a second, the project website page is eventually going to be updated with... Um, is going to be updated with little vignettes, um, information about the peoples, you know, from which these stories come, um, what influenced how I wrote the stories, links to the resources, so the original versions of the stories, but also um, links to the research papers that I used to inform the stories and, um, you know, pretty much anything that helped me put the story together in a coherent way. So that's something that is going to be on the website as well. Um, and then just, there is going to be, a, so one of the, the poems is translated to Ibiubiu, which is the language from which it comes, the story comes. So the, the project website is also going to contain a recording of this, of this poem. So, but today is just an opportunity to, really for me to geek out a little bit more about this book and um, answer any questions that people might have about, you know, doing research for a story, doing research for African, you know, stories in particular and some things to keep in mind because I had a couple of sensitivity readers read through the stories before publication and there are so many blind spots that I am so grateful for these individuals. Um, otherwise, you know, there are things that I might, I might have missed, you know, and given offense and goodness knows there might still be things in there that will give offense that I didn't catch and um, this is just an opportunity to talk about it all okay so I've been rambling for a few minutes I'm going to pause now just to take a temperature of the room welcome anybody who just joined us it is so good to have you here and yes any questions anyone might have um, if there are no immediate questions, I can talk about one story in particular, which is the titular story, The Runaway Princess. And um, I can talk about, you know, my, my research process for that one and, you know, how, how I arrived at the story because it is a known legend, but there is no one story um, about this, this individual. So just taking a pause here to check in. How's everybody feeling? How's everybody doing? Questions that are coming up, thoughts, ideas, 
Um, hello. I just wanted to say, like, um, thank you so much for putting this book together. I'm very interested in this topic because I actually did something very similar, but I didn't, I, um, to give some context, I basically did a book that provided short summaries of the lives of women in history, myth, and, mm -hmm. and in the African continent. But I don't Lovely. have nearly as extensive of, um, as extensive of a research background as you did, because I come from a tech background. And what I did instead mm. was add GPT for the summaries and then use like mid journey for the illustrations. And I'm so interested in the sensitivity research part of like the sensitivity research portion of this and the, mm -hmm. some of the things that you found out that like um, just some of the instances that you did not anticipate that would might be, um, might be issues. I'm also really interested, um, too i also want you to know that like if you need help with under understanding how like amazon publishing works because i used amazon to publish mine you can just dm mm -hmm. i can help you however like i can provide you with some pointers but like i'm very interested in the portion of basically how you were able to verify some of the information because i noticed with chat gpt it got very confused between mm. um, mythology because as you'd have guessed sometimes there are myths that span multiple continents and multiple tribes and they right, right. like the same person if you dig deep them why can't i talk today if you dig deep enough but um chat gpt was very easy for it to summarize the 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 myth so much that it lost all substance so i'd like to know how you're able mm -hmm. to basically like dig deep into each of the um stories and myth all right that is an excellent question and i i love that you've brought in the 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 topic the issue of you know ai writing and ai art because my guess is these uh, algorithms are not being trained on data on stories from the african continent as much as they or if they are trained on that just the sheer volume of information that's out there from you know greek mythology roman mythology european mythology in general asia china is just probably dominating you know whatever these these software are doing so that's something to contend with um, that being said, so let's let let me answer your question using the story I was going to focus on, right? And this is the story of Princess Yenenga. And Yenenga is a princess of the Dagomba people. However, she is best known as the founder of the the founding mother of the Mossi people. Dagomba people are found in Ghana. Mossi people are found in Burkina Faso. And there was a there's a story behind that migration and how it happened. So I'm looking at this the, the list of sources that I use to get, you know, Yenenga's story alone. And there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So from seven different books that I looked at um, to read what other people had told, have, have said about her. And there is no, there is the, the general theme is the same. You know, she was the daughter of a king and she was so good at her job of being a, a soldier in his army. He didn't want her to marry, which, you know, if you look at Dagomba culture, that's just almost like, what in the hell? Why would you even do that? So she she ran away and found someone married and her son becomes the, the king who founded the Mosi people. So the Mosi people hail her as their founding mother. And there, the links to her horse, like the, the capital of, of um, well, the uh, Wagadugu, you know, the well, the, the name Wadrego, and I hope I'm saying that right, um, is very popular among certain uh, the people in, in, in Burkina Faso. And I believe even the capital, Ouagadougou, is linked to that name. 
but you have seven different sources for this woman and in within these sources there was also the wider wider dagomba culture to situate the story in so okay her father was the king but what happened in the king's palace you know how do people talk to the king how did they address the king how did people dress what were the court customs what what was you know the what were the implications of her father saying no you can't get married um what were the implications of her running away the man she married is believed to have come from a group of people who were sometimes in conflict with the Dagomba people. So what were the implications of that? What was the influence of other kingdoms at the time, the Mandinka and the wars and everything that they had going on? And within her own family, for example, you know, what was the implications? Because her father Agbewa had, what, 12 children. So what were the implications of him elevating this daughter to the point where, you know, she's the, the general in his army? So these are all the dynamics I explore as I explore the fact that, okay, what does this girl really feel about the fact that she really, really wants to get married and her father doesn't want this for her? And what does that mean for us modern women, right? You know, to some people, Yenenga is the, you know, a feminist icon, a woman who, you know, was a leader in an army and a soldier and, you know, that that can do attitude. But her real story, you know, as told in the legends of her people is the fact that she didn't really want that to be all of all of her story. She wanted to marry. She wanted to start a family. So what does this mean for us modern women? So this this is all things that, you know, came to bear in how I told Jenenga's story. And, you know, in one of the one of the sources I find, um, they talk about the fact that her companions are killed, you know, and if she's a if she's she was a member of the military, she probably had friends, you know good friendships with some of the, the people in her contingent. So what do those ex- uh, relationships look like? These are all questions that I try to answer in the story or dynamics I try to explore. And what that meant was, you know, not only reading, you know, different sources about Yenenga's story, but looking for information about, you know, Dagomba culture, Dagomba language, Dagomba food, Dagomba dress, Dagomba history, Mosi history, the history of the people around them. And it, it, takes quite a bit. Now, verifying all of this, um, that's what I had a sensitivity reader for, to say, okay, this expression that I use here, is this, you know, does this make sense within the context? But even before I got to that point, I had to really do the research myself so that, the, you know, the sensitivity readers are not starting from scratch. But also something that she caught, you know, in one of Yenenga's stories, she's talked about, they talk about her having long flowing hair and that, that phrase, you know, latched on into my mind so I incorporated that into the story and the sensitivity reader pointed that out you know long flowing hair uh, for African women yes maybe but is this really the case and I had to go back and think about it you know well if she's someone in the army do would she really have hair like that so I changed it you know to corn bros braids like just little tweaks that you do to make the story more believable but the 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 base of it is getting a firm understanding of the peoples and the cultures out of this com- out of which this comes i found out for example that among the dagomba people it's believed that children is how children are how ancestors continue to revisit us right revisit the people how ancestors you know come back to visit the people so if you have this king who doesn't want his child to have to marry and have children what does that say you know what could be going on um, it's a common thing amongst most, you know, 
African historical kingdoms in the African continent that there were succession, all kinds of succession struggles. And, you know, this family is not exempt to the rule. So how does that play in? And so without giving too much away about the story, these are the different dynamics that I explore. But the base of it is research. Now, how do I do this research? Google Scholar is your friend, right? Um, for academic resources, research papers written about history and culture and anthropology and language and the like, Google Scholar is where it's at, at least for me. And um, it, it, you, what I do is I start with, you know, basic reading and then I latch onto certain key phrases you know, so for example, I found out in Dagomba culture that the, the 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 king's palace or the chief's palace usually have royal dramas. So, googling Dagomba royal dramas brought up results. You know that spoke to the specifics about what these dramas are called and what you know their role is even up till now. And it it just turns into this beautiful rabbit hole that gives you a lot of information that you can use. Um, so Google Scholar is a resource that I love to death because it, it tends to give me what I want, what I need. Um, but also, um, honestly, this book and mythological Africans in general would really not be possible um, without, without using um, Internet Archive, which is an online library. Um, basically, every single book that I re reference for Yenenga story comes from Internet Archives. It's a free resource. You create an account and you can check books out for an hour or a day. Or if they're in the public domain, they are free. So between Google Scholar, Internet Archive, and just digging, finding the right words to dig in, that's how I pieced Yenenga's story together. And then I gave the sensitivity readers something to work with. And I, I just noticed your comment saying that it's pretty late for you. And I want to make sure that I'm not keeping you up late. Does that answer your question somewhat? I think we may have lost her. But hopefully that... that um, that answer kind of lays a foundation for, for what, you know, how I approached the research process. And it's different for different people. Yenenga, for example, her story is very well documented. So there was quite a few resources about her, about the Dagomba people. And I had, you know, a lot that I could sink my teeth into there. That wasn't the case for some for, for some other stories. That definitely wasn't the case for some other stories. So welcome again to everyone who is here, anyone who just joined. Uh, my name is Helen. I, I see a lot of new people in the room, so maybe I probably should introduce myself. My name is Helen, and I curate uh, Mythological Africans. I founded and curate the platform. And we're talking this evening about the research process um, behind my upcoming book, The Runaway Princess, excuse me, and other stories. And what I will do is share um, the project page. So if you want to learn more about this project, you can go there. But what I am trying to do this evening is just open space for conversations, questions, thoughts, comments um, about, you know, research for storytelling in general. Um, but also if you have questions specific to The Runaway Princess, I'm happy to, to answer them as well. When you made your selections of the stories, and if you were picking a story of a people about or with whom you were not very familiar, what particular, I mean, I know that you were speaking of going to Internet Archive and, and Google Scholar. Were there particular sources that were um, generally helpful, um, specific ones that kept recurring? 
I mean, what was uh, what would would have would have been a very useful source to find out about customs for a group of people, so that you could add that authenticity to the story. That is a great question. That is a great question. Fortunately, I think um, for many of the stories that I chose, there are there is extensive documentation of the the, the customs of the people. For example, so um, I retell the story of Takane and Nana Bolele. This is a story out of the social people of South Africa, Southern Africa, and my goodness, the social social culture, social customs are extremely well documented. Um, just trying to figure out, you know, social kingship succession um, parameters. There were, you know, legal papers that have been written about this because in social history, there have been, you know, cases where traditional rulership, you know, rubbed up against state processes and there had to be resolutions there. And there are all these legal documents that speak to, you know, what the, the, the South African state's position is on social um, succession principles, but then these papers, you know, went into historical precedents that you know touched on folklore and mythology and all of that. So I would say, um, as far as cultural context is concerned, academic papers and Google Scholar for sure, and that's great because on the archive, for example, and I I imagine somewhere on the archive they have these resources, but Google Scholar is what works for me. What the archive has that is great are a lot of books and treatises and tomes written by people who documented history and processes during the era of European exploration and colonization. And these are great sources because they give you sort of an underground view of what could have been going on. And I say what could have been going on because quite often they are documented from the perspective of, you know, Europeans who may or may not have an understanding of the cultural nuances at play. Um, but as a source of, you know, just to wrap your head around what was just going on at that time, the archive is amazing for that. So um, it's through the archive that I found the book that, you know, gave me wider context around an incident that was mentioned in a paper that I referenced for the social people. Um, for one of the stories that I write, uh, Blackbird Medicine, it's a retelling, a re well, not a retelling exactly, it's a, it, bo it borrows the ethos of uh, an Ila folk, of an, uh, a bit of Ila folklore and the Ila people are found in Zambia. However, the story is told from the perspective of, the, of someone in, you know, an, a, the village of Ila people. And that, that character is based off literally a, a paragraph that was written in a book about the Ila people. But then this book about the Ila people, it was written by two British ethnographers, gives an insight into, you know, the dynamics of Ila culture as they understood it at the time. And I felt pretty confident using this book because even, you know, when I looked online, um, people speaking from the ILA cultural perspective, you know, there are websites to that effect that will reference the book to say, hey, this is something where this XYZ was talked about. And it made me feel a bit more confident about, you know, using the word of someone who's not from the culture. And that's something that I consistently had to, to wrestle with. So unfortunately, many of the, the, the texts that document the, the African experience from a certain period of time 
were not written by, you know, necessarily written by people from within the cultures themselves. So it doesn't make them wrong wholesale, but it definitely means I can't just, you know, take things, you know, without, without, you know, poking a little bit more to say, okay, is this a full representation of what is true about these people? And I, I, I am sure, I am absolutely sure, and I welcome it wholeheartedly if after this book is published, you know, someone comes and says, hey, this little aspect that you talked about, this is not really what it is. And I say I welcome it because it will look like my research was sloppy. But what that does is it raises the issue because otherwise that's just the information that's out there. You know, it doesn't, there's nothing stopping anybody from going to the same sources that I use and presenting that as a truth wholesale. And I think that's the, the responsibility that we all have as Africans now. So much has been written about the continent. And for so many of us, we're kind of not sure who to believe because, you know, you we can't just fully trust the word of people who often we're writing from a racist and prejudiced standpoint. But we also have the experience within our communities and we know that, you know, there, there are dynamics that we also have to wrestle with. And it falls on us to, to, to take a look at these things and figure out what is true and what was untrue and, you know, craft stories that, help reframe experiences, um, stories that, that present possibilities for what the future might look like, and stories that highlight what was good and true and positive and uplifting and solid about African cultures, which you know racist imaginations might not have been able to or unwilling to, might have been unwilling to highlight, you know, because it challenged their own notions of who an African person should be. So is that is that answering your question, Nathan? I know I've gone on and on for, for quite a few minutes about no that's 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 um that does answer my question i think what you're doing will be very helpful to move the needle so towards a a, a healthier um and more informed situation for people because like, things won't change unless people work to change them and you are doing that that is the hope that is the hope and and the 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 challenge and the I call it the glory, you know, the ecstasy of working with African people's stories and ideas is that there, there is so much that has not yet been processed, you know, and I, I don't mean, you know, it's not known, but it hasn't yet, you know, risen to the, 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 the public mind in a, in a way of putting it, especially in the you know, global connected world that we're in now. You know, back in the day, it was a book that was published somewhere and a few academics and, you know, anthropologists and historians knew about it. But in today's culture, a thread goes viral and suddenly you know something about some remote per people from one corner of the globe that you didn't know before. So this is the context in which we are. We are doing this work now and social media being what it is, it's so easy for things to be misunderstood, for things to be taken out of context for for you know things to be used to reinforce prejudices when they are intended to challenge prejudices and that's the tightrope that i think we all walk you know whether you're curating you know history culture anthropology page or telling stories that's the tightrope you walk but that's the responsibility you also have you know to present information and invite discussion um and be faithful you know to to the people in their full complexity and we've seen that play out in, in a lot of conversations recently um, about, you know, who African peoples were and 
who we might have been, you know, all of that. And I mean, the needle has to be moved, right? Because we can't just stay with tired old tropes and, and, and stereotypes. It's, it's way, way past time to move the needle on that. And that has been the privilege, really, the, the glory and the ecstasy of putting this book together. It really has. So I'm trying to find, um, right now, the project page is not updated. Um, if you go to the project page on my website, on helenday.com, um, you will find, you know, a video about the, the, the book and links to pre-order if you're so interested and to the merchandise store. But um, by the time the book is released, this project page will be fully updated with, you know, the research material, links to information about the people, links to the original versions of the stories. Um, if you want to, if you want to read some of them for yourself. Any other questions, comments, thoughts? If none, I can share a story from a, a moment here. Well, a couple of moments while I was putting together some stories. And this relates to two stories in this collection. Um, the Well, in my retelling, it's The Darkest Moon. In the original, the original story is called The Brightest Sun. And it is... Um, story from Libyan folklore. I wasn't able to drill down to exactly which Libyan people. And the other story is um, the Alejeno princess, that's my telling, but the original story is the monkey girl and it's from the Kordofan region in, in um, Sudan, not France, France, what I'm talking about here. All right, so um, the brightest sun, which is the original version of my retelling, The Darkest Moon, is a Libyan story that I found on a website called Salt and Seal, and it's a Libyan folklore website. The Monkey Girl, which is the story I based the Alejeno Princess on, is found in Leo Frobenius's collection of um, Black Erotic Folk Tales. And some context on Frobenius, which if you've been to a mythological African space, you probably know this name. So he is, or oh, he was a German um, ethnographer. And he decided, you know, what are the sexy stories of African people, right? I've been amongst these people. I know that, you know, they're not shy about sex. So why is it that every story they tell, there is no sexual element? So he made it a point to collect stories that have, you know, a lot of sexual dimension to them. And it's quite the book, I will tell you. Um, when I first started Mythological Africans in 2020, we spent quite a bit of time reading through some stories in the book and yowzas. Ooh, ancestors were getting down, as they say. Like, there was so much that, you know, you're thinking, you know, clutching your pearls, like, my goodness, wow. Um, and you can, you can understand just why, you know, European explorers were scandalized, because these were people coming from, what, Victorian Europe with all its restrictions and limitations. Um, they probably were absolutely just not ready for what they encountered on the African continent, for better or worse, because there are um, conventions and, and etiquettes that African peoples had about have around sex, which honestly I wish we had kept. And of course, there are some which you know it's probably best that they went away. So, but he wrote this story, and um, the two stories are similar in that they they can be seen. Well, one of them explicitly is a play on racial perceptions around racial stereotypes. That's the the brightest sun. And um, the monkey girl, there is a way you can read the story, which, you know, introduces a, a, a racial dynamic to it. 
And so rewriting these stories, you know, of course, focusing on the women's experience, I spent quite a bit of time thinking, you know, given the, the, the racial environment in which we're operating right now, you know, which is very much focused on, you know, highlighting and addressing the, the stereotypes that persist, despite, you know, what feels like the last 15 years of people just constantly pointing out the different stereotypes, they still persist. How can I do this in a way that, you know, on the one hand, directly challenges the notion that because of the color of a person's skin, they are inferior to or superior to another. But at the same time, reinforces the notion that when it comes down to it, you know, if you take a step off this planet, we all become the same person. You know, we are all inhabitants of this planet and we are all here. And whether we like it or not, we are dependent on each other. So... But also, you know, without minimizing the, the, the people's struggle, because, you know, you, you go to many parts of the northern African continent, the racism there is virulent. You know, if you speak to the immigrants who have to who want to travel across the Mediterranean, um, a lot of their experiences in the northern part of the African continent is steeped in the fact that they have darker skin. And there's a lot of folklore from the northern part of the African continent, which reflects, you know, the, just the, the virulent racism that, that will show up there sometimes. And we think about the fact that, you know, that is the part of the continent most impacted by Islamic conquest. And to a large extent, you know, the institution of slavery, um, you know, is, is ingrained in, in, in certain cultures that way. These were all dynamics I was playing with. And the, the question was, okay, how to tell a story that honors all of these realities, but also, you know, opens up the conversation to say, this, this being what is going on, we can still work with each other. And um, with the, the, the monkey girl, which I reframe as the allergenic princess, um, she is a spirit who takes on the form of a monkey to interact with humans. And so I, in telling the story from her perspective, I try to focus my, my thinking on, okay, what might a spirit think of, you know, all this mess, you know, a spirit that doesn't necessarily have to inhabit a body, have a race or anything like that. What might they think about, you know, humans and our foibles? And with the, the Darkest Moon is a story of two sisters. And, you know, I, I actually based this, you know, as I was writing it, I was imagining a situation where you have a pair of twins, you know, from mixed parents and one comes out, you know, white and one comes out black, you know, and they're twins. How might they relate to each other? And in the story, these sisters are not twins per se, but one of them is darker than the other and there's, you know, a dynamic that plays out there. And does this, if what does that mean for sisterhood? And that, that sense of sisterhood, despite differences, despite prejudices that are sown in childhood and manifest as cruelty, what might sisterhood look like? So um, that's that's pretty much the dynamic I'm, I'm working on th with, with these two stories. And uh, the artist who illustrated uh, The Darkest Moon, Zizian, he, is, he, he was just brilliant in how he captured um, the, the dynamic between the sisters because, let me see if I can find a picture real quick. But he, he really just, you know, nails it, just nails it in, in the, the tenderness, the fierce protectiveness that these, these two 
um, people have for each other, the vulnerability, the defiance. And, you know, that that was one of the, my favorite parts in working with some of the illustrators, because even without me saying it, you know, these these people just nailed it, hit the nail right on the head in capturing, you know, the essence of these 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 women and their stories. So, um, oh, my goodness, I will. Where is it? It's in here somewhere. Well, if you go to um, the the merchandise page, you can see all these pictures. And if you're so inspired, you can buy some merchandise with some of this this works of art on that. But that that was an interesting moment, um, you know, putting together putting together this book. Well, actually, so the cover. I'm gonna share the tweet in here. One of the covers. So the cover with the two women. That's what um, Zizian did for for these two sisters and. I just love how, you know, one is, you know, cradling the other protectively saying, hey, you're, you're still over here, you know, despite everything. And this other one has this fierce look on her face, you know, that really, really speaks to her personality in the story. So um, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to sharing these stories with you guys. It's, it's been quite the journey. It's been quite the journey. And yeah, I'm glad to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I really am. All right. I'm going to stop talking and see if there are any questions or thoughts and remember if you don't have um if you can't use your mic there is a little chat function in the bottom of the bottom right if you're on your phone and you can use that it will show up on the timeline as a tweet but that way i can see it you can also send me a dm if you if you have a contribution and you can't speak but yeah any questions comments thoughts as we move along I don't see any hands up. So how about we, um, just as we wrap things up then, because I don't want to keep anybody for any longer than necessary. How about we, let's see, maybe we can read one of the stories. Ooh, I want to talk about this one. All right, you guys, you have to indulge me here. So one of the stories, one of the stories that I retell, um, in my retelling, it's our place of happiness. And um, something interesting happened with this story. I've actually tweeted a thread about this story before. And this thread was based on a telling of the story as found in an, a collection of African myths and folklore. But that, that collection was based on the original story, which was a book about the, the uh, Tsonga people who are found in Mozambique, so about Tsonga people, Tsonga culture, Tsonga folklore. And that book is in French, which I so happened to speak and read. So I said, well, let me go to the original story, you know, and see what this story is about. Come to find out the version of the story that I read in this English language version of, you know, stories is so different from what's in the French language documentation, which was, you know, documented back in the day. Basically, in the English language version that I read at first and tweeted about, the girl who is presented as the heroine in the story is actually the villain. And I'm talking murder your own sister villain, <laughs> right? So I read the original French version and the hero in the story has a completely different name. Meanwhile, the hero, the person who I thought was the, the heroine, you know, the main character, the, the good girl, is actually the evil sister, you know, who tries to murder her other sister. And 
so I had already mapped this story out, how I was going to tell it in my head and, you know, everything. And then I had to do a complete 180, you know, not just changing the name, but, you know, changing the whole story that I, I had planned to tell. And it turns out well. It turns out quite well. Um, I ended on a different note than the original story does. But it, it gave me an opportunity to really imagine, you know, a possibility to say, okay, if there is some kind of, if there is a place where, you know, the, the people who are, uh, who are rejected by society could go, what would this look like? And it was, it was very much, it was very fun to play with that theme in the story, but also fun to dig into um, the, the traditions of the, the, the Tsonga people, because they, they have some really, really fascinating traditions and how they, they lived um especially around issues of sexuality and things like that. But then this was also a blind spot that one of my sensitivity readers had to catch because I'd written one of the characters in the story, you know, in dialogue talking about certain things. And the sensitivity reader, you know, came back to me and said, you know, this this is factually true. However, in the community right now, this word, which, you know, you used it correctly in context and everything but in the community right now it actually has a very negative connotation so this might be something that would be offensive to readers so i had to take that out and you know it didn't affect the story too much but it was just one of those moments where you know you can do research and it's great and it's factual but it's really you know the reality on the ground tells a different story and i was so grateful in that moment that i invested in in um, sensitivity readers, I you know made a point to find people who were close to the cultures that I wanted them to investigate because you know I imagine they would have contacts and in ways in which that I I might not have you know, and um, it was just another way that I was able to bring more you know people from the continent into the project because one of my my goals was to funnel you know resources into the hands of you know not just artists but you know the people who make the magic happen in the background you guys writing a book who writing is the easy part the editing the proofreading the formatting my god there is just so much that happens in the background my lord I didn't think it was going to be this way and then I came to find out so it was it was a lot of you know it was it, it made me feel really good, you know, to direct funds in this direction because I think this is validating our cultures, you know, saying that hey, you are important enough to be investigated, to be told, um, to be expressed in, in authentic ways that reflect reality, you know. And um I was re I was really happy that, you know, I got to do this. And another story, for example, comes from the the Mende people in Sierra Leone and it ventures into the the field of, you know, um, FGM and you know the the attitudes towards it, which as you know it varies. And one of the things that sensitivity reader said to me is, you, know, you you have to decide what position you are taking on this issue because your your book is going to land in the hands of people who just by virtue of its existence, it's it's taboo. It shouldn't be happening. But to someone from within the culture, you know, there it's not you know that cut and dried. But you as a writer have to take a position on it. And I had written, you know, the story and she was like, well, you, 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 you want to tread that line very carefully because, you know, you don't want to give offense. But at the same time, you have to be mindful of what your own feelings on the topics is and um, who is going to be reading your book. And that that was, you know, a light bulb moment for me. And I thought, my God, I am so glad. 
I, I, I included sensitivity readers in, in, in the process. So just two instances where, you know, things that seemed just, you know, straight up obvious to me turned out to be not quite, not quite apparent. Um, but yeah, we have what, just about 10 minutes left. So I can take one question or if I can find a short story, maybe we can read that one. Um, maybe, uh, well, The Sacred Spring. Um, there is, so a couple of weeks ago, I, I had a conversation with the gentleman who translated um, one of the poems in the book to the Ibibu language, which is the language from which the, the, the story came from. So you can, when I summarize this discussion, I'll include the link to that tweet, that Twitter space chat, so you can listen to that. But that was also something else that, you know, um, I had the pleasure of doing and funneling resources towards. Um, and yeah, yeah. I'm trying to see if there is a short story that we can read, but honestly, you guys, with nine minutes left, it might be, it might be best to not do that because we will definitely go over, over nine minutes if we if we chose to do that. But I feel like I've been talking a lot, so I just want to open it up one more time for questions, comments, thoughts, reactions. Since we are going to be closing up in just a bit, let me check the messages here. All right, looks like we don't have questions, which is okay. Um, but yeah, I'm glad I got to wax poetic about the book and the research process with you guys. I, I'm really excited about this. I, I did my best with the stories. I really enjoyed them, writing them. And if, you know, the people who have seen them so far have anything to say, I, I really think you guys are going to enjoy them. So um, keep an eye out. Um, if you pledged on the Kickstarter, um, especially keep an eye out because you guys are a priority. But Wednesday next week is the is the big day, and if anything changes before then, I will make sure that everyone knows so you know we know what to expect. But so far, so far, so good. Things are things are on track. Things are on track. So I have to go now and look over the manuscript that the formatter has sent to me and see my baby in its glory. She's beautiful. I'm sorry, you guys. I'm so excited. But then I have to go make sure that she's as beautiful as she can be. So thank you all for making time today. Um, it has really been a pleasure going on this journey with you. I can't wait to see what you know what, what unfolds. But um, have a good weekend. Please be safe. Take care of yourselves and your people in all the ways that you need to. Thank you all so much. Have a good evening. But yeah, hey, if you get a chance, definitely try it out. I think... Um, there are other yam, you know, recipes. There are many, many others, but pounded yam is—it's as I think in Nigerian cuisine, it's that's what you're shooting for. Pounded yam is where it's at. Now, if you were thinking Cameroonian cuisine, which you know, personally, because I'm biased, <laughs> I think it's the the African cuisine <laughs> to watch out for. Um, just steamed yams with a little bit of salt. Honestly, even just by themselves. I think it's delicious, but man, you can do like yam and tomato stew, yam and dole, which is like a, a vegetable cooked with like 
ground um, peanuts and spiced up and it's just it's delicious there are so many things that you can do with you know yams um so pounded yams yam porridge yam and stew yam and 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 dole like my god it, it's endless it's um but fried yams is a, it's another good one and man yeah if, if you do find a restaurant i i would definitely recommend it's it's just it's a starchy root and it has a really nice flavor to it and it's just chewy and chunky and, and perfect um when so, i can any, yeah, when i can i will but you know if you have any uh cameroonian recipes for yam i would not mind seeing those there there are quite a few recipes online if you go to um Oh my gosh, the name just popped right out of my head. But if you Google Cameroonian food, it's probably going to be one of the first uh, websites that pop up. Um, and I can I can send you something via DM. Um, I'm sure she has some kind of a Cameroonian yam type recipe on there. And just general. I think that the good thing about um, West African cuisine, especially as uh particular foods that are staples across cultures are concerned, they tend to be pretty similar. So Nigerian pounded yam and Cameroonian pounded yam is essentially the same thing. Now, what you eat it with might vary, but they're essentially the same thing. And same thing with the yam porridge and anything like that. So, yeah, I I, 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 I do hope you try it out, though, because I'm, I'm curious to hear what your what your thoughts are going to be about it. So, anyway. <laughs> 